Today on the Five Points Church Planning Podcast, we learn Canadian history. Canada is a land of immigrants like the U.S., but unlike the U.S., the French and the, the English had to figure out how to get along despite hating each other, and they had to figure out how to govern despite not wanting to speak each other's language. Hunter learns how to speak Canadian. What have been some of the most surprising things that you guys have learned? Notice that I used you guys instead of y'all. And we discuss the Canadian Christian dating scene. I, I had all the power to make the small group, so there'd be guys taking me out for dinner all the time. And I thought it was just because I was a great pastor, but they were, they were trying to figure out what small group certain girls were in and how did they angle in there. Real quick before we get started, this episode is sponsored by Auxilio Partners, building the legal, business, and technology infrastructure for church plants. Find out more at auxilio.partners slash five points. listening to the Five Points Church Planting Podcast, where two church planters try to make one good point. Today on the pod, we're bringing you part one of a two-part interview with our international church planting correspondents from Canada. So I'm going to stop talking now, and here we go. Welcome to another episode of Five Points Church Planting Podcast. We're excited today to have three guests, the most guests I believe that we've ever had on at one time, Ben Joliffe, Kyle Hackman, Dan McDonald, all three, even further north than John St. Martin, which is in Canada. So, John, can you say your name correctly in Canada? I can't, but I believe our Canadian friends might be able to help us out. What is it there, Kyle? You just say Saint Martin, Martin, but I'm not Canadian. You got to ask the real Canadians, the born and bred Canadians. No, it's Jean Saint Martin. (laughs) Very good. So, in preparation for the show today, yeah, uh, I I took some time to you know learn a bit about the Canadian culture by listening to the Jim Gaffigan Pale Tourist (laughs) special. I highly recommend it. Highly recommend it. One of the things that we want to do to begin is to hear from all three of our guests and just get a brief introduction about where they are and what it is they are doing and who they are. So we'll begin with Dan McDonald. I am uh, a church planter of a church planted, uh, particularized, et cetera. We planted in 05 uh, in Toronto um, and we've kind of had a heart for multiplication. And so um we planted in 05 and then brought on an associate pastor um, named Kyle Hackman, who I'll introduce uh, next, who then interned, trained an intern named Ben Jolliffe. I think he will probably speak next. So, Kyle. Yeah, I came up to, uh, I came to Toronto uh, in 2010. And uh, honestly, I was interested in, in world missions. I was in Chicago and was interested in exploring opportunities for missions and they're honestly just wasn't a great opportunity that I saw a good fit and was connected in Toronto. And in a lot of ways, it checked a lot of boxes of some skills I wanted to learn. We hope to be there for two years. We, we agreed to be there for two years. My wife never actually visited because she was pregnant and we just decided, Hey, you know, we can survive just about anywhere two years. And uh, you know, that was 11 years ago. So that, that's how it all took place. Um, 
you know, Dan threw me into relationships with people like Ben Jolliffe, who were far more skilled than me in so many ways. But I had one thing Ben didn't, which was uh, I'd passed my ordination exams. So <laughs> <laughs> the one the one semi-marketable skill I had, I was able to pass on to uh, <laughs> to Ben and he passed on a lot of other things to me. And uh, we my wife and I ended up um, we lived the neighborhood we ended up living in almost immediately in Toronto. Uh, after living there for seven years, we were sent off to plant a church from Grace Toronto. Uh, pretty much take the seed that was planted by Grace Toronto in the more downtown core and planted in the more um, somewhat residential core in the east end of the city. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and that's that's where we've been. That was, uh, I guess, 2017 is when the church officially launched. So, yeah, my name is Ben Joff. And uh, as Dan said, my background is in Campus Crusade. And so I was a campus minister for a number of years, you know, following an undergrad in, in science and uh, but worked at a Canadian university, was born and raised in Canada. And uh, so I thought I was ready to plant a church because I'd worked in campus ministry, having never been to seminary, never actually having worked for a church before. Uh, and uh, but went through the PCA assessment and they're like, hey, you should go to seminary and work for a church and learn some things first. And so ended up at Grace Toronto with Dan through a, through a campus crusade or what's in Canada, we call it power to change, but through a power to change connection. And I uh, went there and worked there, interned with Kyle and Dan did three years, mostly kind of churning through seminary, getting some practical church experience and, uh, and then got sent, got sent slash moved slash decided to go, however that works in PCA circles, but uh, decided moved to Ottawa, which is about five hours away, kind of North East of Toronto. Uh, it's a capital city of Canada though, and moved there seven years ago, planted a church called Resurrection Church uh, in Ottawa. And uh, I've been doing that. We particularized about two and a half years ago kind of after about five years of being here, four and a half years of being here. And um, so that's kind of my story. And Hunter, I should correct you right that's away. Exciting. I think we are all sure. further south than John. I think he's actually further north than even Ottawa. Yeah, if you're in, if you're, uh, yeah, that might be right. <laughs> that's funny. So you're still actually, the furthest north. Yeah, uh, one of the closest cities to us, this is how far out we are from most metro areas, is... Uh, it's actually Winnipeg. So Winnipeg oh, nice. is about three hours north of us. I know there's no PCA church there, but if there's ever a if there's ever somebody in the pipeline that wants to be in Winnipeg, I'll be their closest friend, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so well, you know us guys in the American Deep South, we've never been above Kentucky. So it's <clears throat> we, we don't know where anything is. Hey, why don't you guys give us a little bit of the lay of the land? I mean, we're talking about new churches that have been planted in Canada for the past, you know decade but what what is uh what was it like before that i mean how many pca churches are there i mean canada is vast you have french speaking areas right i mean most people i mean i'm pretty close to canada and i still don't know very much about it so uh could you just give us like a big picture uh window into just church culture in general but then also kind of the pca's ministry across the country dan i think you're the the uh, you're the elder statesman here, but if you'd like me to take a stab at it, because I love history, I'd be happy to. <laughs> yeah, Kyle, one, uh, I'll start off, and then uh, I think Kyle probably knows it a little bit better. But Canada uh, had a very small PCA presence, primarily a bunch of RPCES churches when in the 80s when uh, the RPCES emerged with the PCA denominationally. The PCA suddenly had a presence in Canada, but the vast majority of them were, were that. Um, so when I came in 05, there were, I don't know, about eight, eight or 10 churches east of Winnipeg. Uh, and then about eight or 10 sort of from Alberta west to Vancouver. 
And uh, they were primarily, um, you know, doctrinally solid, but not particularly missional uh, or multiplication minded. And um, that's what I remember. Cal probably has more of a specific history. But when I came here, the landscape was heavily doctrinally orthodox, missionally cautious at best. And um, yeah, I'll, I'll turn it over to Kyle for a fuller, 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 fuller view. That was uh, 2005 when I came uh, back to Canada from Florida. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I actually grew up in the States, and so I'm an outsider to the Canadian church world, so I, I've enjoyed studying it. And if uh, any of your millions of listeners want to fund a PhD in Canadian church history, I'd love to love to do some more work on it. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, I mean, consider, some... Kyle, you can consider that done. Um, yeah, <laughs> if you know our audience, you can consider that done, and you just need to figure out where you're going to go at this point. <laughs> Without telling a huge story, uh, but there is a little bit of backstory that's important. I mean, Canada is a land of immigrants like the U.S., but unlike the U.S., the French and the, the English had to figure out how to get along despite hating each other. And they had to figure out how to govern despite not wanting to speak each other's language. And uh, part of that means that where the U.S. had a great melting pot uh, feel, you know, I have German heritage and my grandparents grandfather spoke German, but no one after him did. Uh, in Canada, you know, you have a lot more of this mosaic picture where microcultures preserve. And unfortunately, conservative Presbyterianism is kind of a micro Scottish culture coming into coming into the PCA. Um, also, in, in 1925, the United Church of Canada was formed by an act of parliament and um, a chunk of, of Presbyterian ministers joined the United Church, sort of similar to the United Church of Christ in the States. But many of the congregations actually held out. And so the Presbyterian Church of Canada remained um, probably would be considered far more conservative than the average Presbyterian Church USA and the states. And there was no fundamentalism, uh, fundamentalist uh, liberal controversy going on, uh, modernist fundamentalist controversy going on in Canada. And so by and large, the PCA has been uh, somewhat of an outsider because there never was that sort of combustion moment where uh, they needed to draw a line in the sand and say who's in and who's out. And right now, the Presbyterian Church of Canada, possibly at this current synod that they have, will, will decide on same-sex marriage, same-sex ordination questions. And that could be a, a, a big combustion moment for um, the, the you know, sort of Presbyterian world. But by and large, their numbers have so dwindled and their influence is so small that uh, even if we we gathered a couple of the congregations, it, it wouldn't make a tremendous difference in terms of, of what's going on. So that's a, that's a bit about Canada. I'd also say one thing that's different from the U.S. is you have a strong Anglican presence in the Anglophone, but the English-speaking part of Canada. So whereas I grew up with um, a lot of nominal Roman Catholics in my life, those do exist in probably more in the French-speaking part, and Dan, Dan grew up around some of those people. But at least in Toronto, and Dan might feel differently, but I've been surprised at how many people have kind of a, a nominal... Anglican background that goes back two generations. And that presents some challenges because at the end of the day, we're not really that different from Anglicans, but we are a lot different than some Anglicans. And we're a lot similar, you know, it's, it presents different challenges uh, when, the, when sort of the nominal culture you're facing is kind of a vague Protestantism. Um, it presents different challenges as it relates to the PCA and, you know, sort of more uh, confessional churches taking root in a place like Canada. Yeah. Yes, to our uh, audience, Kyle is broader than just the PCA, it's Reformed and Presbyterian. So any comments about the broader Reformed and Presbyterian world in, in Canada as a whole? Yeah, Ben, I don't know if you have other thoughts as well, you know, as an outsider coming into this, there are some RPCNA churches. I would say the big difference that we have is there's, there was quite a bit of Dutch settlement post-World War II uh, in Southern Ontario, especially. And so um, 
places, you know, the Christian Reformed Church and now the United Reformed Church are have some strong presence <clears throat> here or there. And uh, while these people are definitely our brothers, in terms of sort of penetrating the city, trying to plant churches that are, you know, uh, missionally engaging, um, I think some of my Dutch brothers have said it best. Uh, some of their denominations vision was to be a safe haven for Dutch immigrants to plug into a community and get established in Canada. And now as we get into a new generation of that, they're trying to uh, refigure out their identity moving forward. And, and Kyle, would you, would you say we're seeing some of our more recent church plants are getting uh, kind of next gen Dutch people from that tradition who want to break away and are, are starting to populate good chunks of our church plants uh, yeah. in areas that have significant Dutch communities. Uh, just like for us in Grace Toronto, we have a significant group of breakaway people from uh, primarily Asian immigrant churches who are sort of next generation and wanting to move away from that distinctly ethnic experience. So that's kind of one of the unusual things. And I think, Ben, maybe you can talk about that because I think you had a bit of, an, of that Dutch influx when you started yeah, like there's, uh, there, in the answer to Hunter's question, there's not really a, a Reformed Presbyterian presence no. in Canada. Like we don't have a, for instance, we don't have an egalitarian slash complementarian denomination like the EPC, like just doesn't exist. Um, the OPC has just a, a small handful of churches. The ARP, like they're all, they, they basically don't exist in Canada. And so, so really what you're dealing with, there's like sort of a reasonably healthy sort of like reformed-ish Baptist-y like presence, like, uh, you know, on that end of things. But on the other side, like there's, there's really not much. And so I, I feel like my, most of my church uh, disagrees with me on baptism and disagrees with me on other reformed uh, things that are, are no brainers to people who have grown up in more reformed Presbyterian settings. And so the things I'm I'm sort of fighting with and battling on are, are very different than kind of uh, some, you know, than, than maybe some other churches. And so, um, but yeah, but some, some Dutch, some Dutch people, some, some Scottish, you know, uh, Psalter singing people, but like, it's, you know, it's, it's broadly kind of evangelical ish people who love some liturgy, who love our, our love for the city, you know, who are kind of missional. That's, that's mainly who we're kind of getting. Been watching the news, and Canada's churches seem to be the ones uh, making the headlines uh, lately with all of the COVID restrictions. You guys certainly seem to be in kind of another bout of lockdowns. And as you've navigated the past year, I don't think any of you are going to jail, but just curious to know <laughs> uh, how how that's been for you all, uh, and where you're at now with that COVID thing, and and how maybe those news headlines are uh, affecting ministry. Uh, this uh, this year has been, I mean, the last, whatever, 14 months has been incredibly difficult. Um, and for a church plan, it's, you're put in a situation where um, people won't rent to you. And so it's not even a question of how you will use your building because you, you don't have a building. So we, we meet in a school gymnasium. So when, when the government says, hey, uh, churches aren't allowed to meet, the school says, hey, we're locking the doors. Like <laughs> you, you can't come in. And so it's not even a question of like civil disobedience or no civil disobedience. It's like, you, you have nowhere to meet. And, um, and when they say you can meet and we've, we've had various kinds of percentages, 15%, 30%, unlimited outdoors, like this, all a million different options. We, so we've kind of, we've, we've been happy to do that. And the school lets us in when you kind of get a percentage, but right now we're in a fairly, we're in a, what's called like a stay at home order. And basically you're allowed to have 10 people max. And so like wow. we, 
we have uh, we have virtual services and, and our, our small groups can kind of meet a little bit, but like functionally, but it's it's been it's been an incredibly difficult uh, year for the church in Canada. Yeah, Dan, Dan has a building. So, I, you know, you, his answer to this question might be somewhat different, but I'm along with Ben, you can't rent. And so, you know, I believe in an hour and a half our premier, which is sort of like the governor is making yet another news conference. And all of us literally sit by the computer waiting to hear whether or not we'll be allowed to have 15 people in a building or 25. And um, yeah, Canada's making the news. Most of the pastors getting arrested are out in Alberta, though there is some in Ontario. Ontario by and large has just chose to find people and said, if you wanna meet, that's fine, but you're just gonna pay for the medical bills as COVID spreads. And um, that unfortunately has put a lot of churches in a place where they, you know, they're obeying obeying the orders. Um, my church was only, you know, we've, we've now been locked down actually in, in two days, we've been locked down for 15 months. So this is no small amount of time when your church is only three, my church was three years old when this happened. So I'll say, uh, I've been very negative about COVID. Uh, so I got to be careful here. I don't, no one wants to listen to a podcast if people gripe about COVID, but I will say a couple <laughs> of things. Um, the neighborhood I planted in almost all the churches when I planted were started prior to world war two. Mm. So as, as you can imagine, um, you know, trying to adjust a congregation like that and get them online was tough. And uh, so we either had sort of ethnic specific congregations or very old congregations. And so my church has grown a little bit because we were able to get online quicker. We were able to set up activities online. Um, but now we're at the phase where almost no one wants to be on Zoom anymore. Um, people do church on YouTube because they, you know, feel some sort of obligation to it but i don't think there's anybody who's logging on you know with joy with their bible open and their highlighter in their hand um it's it's yeah. been emotionally tough and i'm dealing with i think ben and dan would say the same i had a phone call yesterday with someone who believes he's addicted to marijuana and uh you know as you talk to these people you you can just feel the depression kind of uh, that overwhelms them and they're making lifestyle choices to try to cope with the depression. And what that means is there's just been a dullness about spiritual things. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, this guy addicted to marijuana kind of summarizes it. He wants to get rid of the drive that he has because it's hard to stay at home all day. And so smoking pot is a great way to help him relax when he feels anxious. Um, but that, that dullness is something that's, that is symbolic uh, spiritually about what's going on with a lot of our congregants. I think they are, there's a spiritual dullness over the city when you can't assemble together for basically 15 months. There's been on and off periods, but it's been very hard in Toronto to assemble together. And I would say that's COVID has set a, a cloud over our city spiritually where um, I've seen some congregants bear great fruit during seasons. You know, it pops up and blooms. And then uh, I've seen a lot of the lack of sunlight sort of come into the, to the church and the fruit's not growing like it once was. Mm. Uh, yeah, I would echo all the comments that uh, both of them have made easily the hardest year ever. And uh, if, if ever you were pro-government and pro-Romans 13 submission, this, this year tested it. I do think that one of the things that, that Kyle and Ben have done um, well uh, and we, we have done reasonably well is we did not build our church on a Sunday morning model, but on a small group and fellowship uh, between, between the weekends model. And that's probably been what has, has kept us in any semblance of health yeah. um, is that we were not Sunday morning driven. And that was one thing I learned in COVID is uh, that's a really bad model for this kind of situation. We had, pretty healthy small group system. Kyle actually helped build it with uh, a guy named Joe Choi in our church to a very healthy place. And it has kind of kept us going um, 
to Kyle's point, everyone's sick of Zoom. I have people that boycott our church services on Sunday simply because it's too tragic to watch it. And they're small group leaders. So it just tells you how much Zoom fatigue uh, is really out there. I've heard that as well. People saying that it's counterproductive for them to watch church on YouTube because it hurts. Yeah. And um, people who say they'll listen to the podcast when they go for a walk or something, but they just, yeah. the idea of having church without other people around and pretending like it's normal is starting to take a toll on people's spiritual life. And, and I can understand that. So stepping back from COVID and the difficulties of the pandemic and remembering the good old days, uh, yeah. what is, what have been some of the most surprising things that you guys have learned Notice that I used you guys instead of y'all. Oh, what are good. some of the most surprising things you've? Yeah, thank you. Some, <laughs> just some things that you've learned about church planning that has been helpful and in, in surprising in your context that you could share with our audience. I think one of the things I'll start with that is is quite different from the American context is we don't really talk about uh, multiracial churches in Canada because of the mosaic kind of understanding. Um, it's sort of impossible not to plant um, a multiracial <laughs> church. Like uh, we just started, we didn't, we didn't target anyone specifically in, in our churches, you know, maybe 60% Caucasian and 30% Asian, 10% other. And that's just sort of, that's very, very common in Canada um, because of our, our, our racial history. Now I, I'm in Ottawa, which is a bilingual city and we're on the border with Quebec. And so actually it's like, it's actually the, the, um, the French English is a bigger sort of racial thing than, um, than, than brown, white, or, or black, white, or whatever. And so, so sometimes the, the conversation out of the US is sort of weirdly distracting because I'm like, I, I don't know how to interpret that when like, uh, you know, I, I, there's still sort of minority issues. I'm not saying we, we don't have them, but it's, it's very different than, um, than I think planting, especially in the South, but probably in most um, American contexts. Uh, I'm, I had a conversation with Kyle um, in about his second or third year where he said something I thought was, which was incredibly insightful. He saw it with the, the new eyes of an outsider. And he said, Dan, um, particularly Toronto, uh, but the big Canadian cities, because of this mosaic and the Canadian sort of tolerance, it has a much different and, and uh, on the surface, much lower incidence of division over race and some of these other issues that, that Ben just pointed to. And so, he said, Toronto is a better counterfeit alternative to Christianity than any other big city I've seen. It's affluent. It's peaceful. The races get along. They mix well together. Uh, the appetite for Christianity is so low. There's a, uh, and, and when he said that, it just j jarred something in my mind because I had been here. I mean, I'm Canadian and I, I'd been in Toronto longer. And I was like, there's this weird self-righteous secularism that I'm experiencing amongst the, the non-Christian here that's a fair bit different than I experienced in other places. And so that was one of the, the things that surprised me was I knew they were hard to the gospel, but I didn't think they'd be so proudly, self-righteously. Well, of course, we're not religious. Look how good we have it here. That was a big surprise. The second big surprise for me, and I'd love to have you guys comment on this, the lack of resources, um, Christian resources, leadership resources, and leaders. Um, you know, we have a lot of young professionals that come out of university. And when I was uh, in the States, and even when I was in campus ministry in the 80s and 90s, there were a lot of 
sharp, young, emerging leaders coming out of these ministries. They've gone to good churches, et cetera. But when I came to plant in Toronto, uh, especially in the early years, I think it's a little different now, um, the spiritual youngness, uh, lack of good teaching, et cetera, of the uh, young 20-somethings was uh, a bit jarring, to be totally honest with you. I thought I'd be able to mobilize a lot of leaders, but basic discipleship stuff that I had to do uh, because they were just so spiritually young. And I wouldn't even call it immature because they'd never been taught oftentimes. I realized Canada in the, in the late 80s through the early 2000s had really, they drunk the Kool-Aid and they'd all gone kind of seeker sensitive, lower the teaching, et cetera. Uh, and so all these people were teaching light, but they were in a very aggressively hostile culture and they weren't standing up too well to it. Um, I'll let Kyle expand because Kyle was the one who kind of helped me make that that kind of analysis so Kyle, what, what we're yeah saying? i don't know surprising things i mean i have a lot of thoughts um i would say one of the things that's surprising to me is a lot of the homeowners a lot of the more established canadians um not not the immigrants not the young students but the secularization theory that sort of as a society matures it will get less and less religious uh, which is is by and large been really called into question from a variety of of, of sociologists lately but I don't, I, Ben and Dan, I, most of my neighbors think that that's gospel, you know, that the more these immigrants get established in our country, the less religious they're going to be. That's been one thing that's surprising to me is how much the data has shown that not to be true and how much they still believe it. Yep. And so what that means is, you know, today, I don't know when you'll release this podcast, but when we're recording it, today's the end of Ramadan, right? So my Muslim neighbors would bring, are going to bring gifts over to our house, food, you know, tre- you know, sweets and whatnot over to our house the next days or so uh, because they feel safe around us because we both agree that religious questions are important questions. But the majority of our, my, my sort of sort of secular neighbors would be like, that's real cute that they celebrate, you know, they'll all say, uh, you know, they'll all give the greetings and say happy feast. But by and large, it's, it's sort of a patriarchal kind of colonial idea of patting them on the head saying, once you guys become big, big people, mature thinkers like us, you'll, you'll put these childish ways behind you. And so that, that has been interesting to me that uh, your evangelism strategy has to deal with uh, a, a, a huge measure of apathy towards religious questions. But also, as Dan is saying, um, they look down at the U.S. I mean, the Canadian identity is rooted and there's one thing that holds Canada together, and it's this idea that they are not Americans. That is <laughs> the only thing that is certain in Canada, no matter where you end up. They are not Americans. And um, what that means is through, you know, without getting into politics and all these things, whatever caricature of, of Christianity is, is most prevalent on the news, and often it's right-wing evangelicals, they disdain that, and they see that as a, a step backwards in terms of the city that they long for, the sort of, their sort of secular kingdom of God. And, um, and so w- one of the things that's been so incredibly tough is trying to, t- to paint for them a picture of heaven that's more beautiful than the- they look at their city and they say, this is, this is close enough. This is decent. Uh, yeah. You know, obviously there's pockets of people who say that's not true. There's injustice going on. But by and large, the average sort of homeowning Toronto person that Dan and I would call, you know, friends, peers, that you play hockey with they're pretty happy with the city they feel like this is about as good as it can get and let's let's grow contentment and thankfulness for this anytime kyle that they feel discontented they go yeah but look down south we're better exactly 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 so following up with this discussion what have your evangelistic efforts look like in as you've planted your churches in canada i'll give two categories of people that we've seen some evangelistic fruit with one is 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 new immigrants 
to be to be perfectly honest. People come people who are new to Canada. I got a call from an Eritrean guy the other day who's on a spiritual journey. He's like, I've never I've never had a I've never known had a chance to investigate the world religions before. And can, like, can we meet? Can you give me a Bible? And so like sometimes you get those kind of those kind of phone calls or those kind of interactions with people who are who are brand new. Because uh, Canada has, you know, a pretty steady, especially in the big cities, pretty steady Im- immigration process. People are kind of churning through regularly. And but the other people um, who, who we've seen evangelistic fruit with tend to be those that we have long-term engagement with. And so they're they're boyfriends, spouses, children, or or best friends of people who are Christians. Um, the the amount of like off the street random people with no connection to the church, they, like that that doesn't exist. There's basically no one. And so that the non-Christians who would come to our church regularly are nearly always family members or, or very close friends of a, of a sincere Christian. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's not, there's not sort of like broad evangelistic things that are attracting a, a lot of people, I'd say. But those new immigrants and sort of close connections are, are the main two sources, I would say, of, of evangelistic effort and fruit in our context. Yeah, I, Dan, I'll let you speak up. I mean, great, I felt like I had great uh, evangelistic skills coming out of Grace Toronto Church. There was a lot of people that came to know Christ coming out of Grace Toronto Church. And um, I I felt called to plant a church in the area I lived and uh, where my kids, you know, were playing around and on the streets and playing, you know, where I was coaching sports. And I wanted to reach these people, these homeowners. And by and large, I just have not seen the average sort of established adult even consider religious questions. And uh, whereas in university and graduate school where, where people were trying to think big thoughts, big questions, they were willing to engage them once they had a million dollar mortgage. And uh, once they were chasing kids around and they were established in their career, but they were scared of falling down the ladder, uh, they just did not want to complicate life with religious questions. And so some of, some of what was so thrilling at Grace Toronto, I haven't had the same, I haven't been as energized by it. But I will say we have more and more um, seen as kids get a touch older, there are some families that are wrestling through um, one, one often one spouse says, I want my kid to have something of a religious upbringing. And that might be a, a sort of a haunting of Anglicanism in their background. It could be a Chinese Baptist background, you know, that they they have fallen away from and they want to come back. And so that has actually been where we've seen families connect. Um, and often it's messy because you might have one member one one of the spouses might not have grown up christian at all they might have been muslim background or um they could have grown up roman catholic and you have these these tough issues but that's been for us where the fruit has been is as um and encouraging our people to be out in the area out in the neighborhood interacting and friends with people but no one's coming to our church unless they have one personal contact with someone in our church uh you know we get we get the occasional drop-in who moved to the area and googled church um but by and large where i'm currently in this heavily residential area they have to have a kid in school a kid playing sports with uh, some kind of friendship connection and as they wrestle through these questions they say let's give it a shot and that's been our most fruitful connection but it I, by fruitful i wouldn't say uh you know that we're we're overwhelmed with fruit just that's that's been the area where that's been most had been most encouraging yeah i, I piggybacking on what both of those have said um so Kyle, you'll remember when you were at Grace Toronto, the the demographic that you're presently ministering and evangelizing to, we didn't see much fruit either. Uh, That wasn't our growth area in evangelism. Uh, That was one of our tougher areas. So be encouraged uh, that that's just one of the toughest areas demographically in Canada. We found what was working at Grace Toronto 
was the dislocation of people moving to a global city and needing community created a massive hunger for community. And so community-based soft evangelism, a lot of community events, fellowship events, parties, uh, go to watch a movie together. We started to use our building, you know, salsa night, whatever, uh, where people uh, who already had relationships, usually for a while with one or two Christians, our sequence was, let that Christian help introduce them to other Christians so they don't go, you're an anomaly. Because what we found was the average young professional in Toronto thought, my one Christian friend is, in, friend is intriguing me, but I think the rest of them are like the crazy people I see on American TV. And then they find out that there's a whole swath of people that are not like, you know, whatever American televangelist they've just heard about, you know, exposed or whatever. Right. And so then they go, now I'm generally interested. This isn't just my friend who's a unicorn. All these Christians share this weirdness and it's an attractive one. <laughs> and then one of the things that we did when Kyle was there was we created our small groups. We created, you can be a, you can be a skeptic at almost every level except elder training. You know what I mean? Like you, you can go to almost anything at Grace Toronto and we'll, we'll think that you're there. We'll know that you're there. And so we tried to make it easier for people to invite people. And Kyle, I remember Kyle, you told me one of your, one of yours, I think we had, you know, I don't know, we only had 15 small groups back then, but you said, no, we had 30 small groups and we had 32, like almost every single one had at least one non-Christian in it. So we tried to do that. That's not working as well anymore, to be honest with you. That was what we learned from Keller and the Redeemer guys was make every part open and accessible. It still works somewhat. Mm -hmm. Uh, and it's it's shrinking, in, in my opinion. However, the other thing that we're noticing is uh, when we talk to people who are trying to share their faith in, in Canada, they, they don't need apologetics anymore. Um, they're mm. people. People are just they're watching. They're doing two things. They first think Christianity is immoral. It's not just stupid. It's immoral because it's homophobic or anti trans or or whatever. But they're quietly um, seeing such division and anger in their own culture, they're quietly more attracted to the corporate apologetic of Christians being so, as they put it, nice and loving to each other. So the individual apologetic training is dialing down and the corporate just get a bunch of friends together and hang out. They're going to be shocked that you're so nice to each other. That we're starting to see uh, increase in its value amongst the people that we find most open but mostly they're open they're new to toronto they've just got a job here the big city's overwhelming them and they feel very lonely so community is a a hot um commodity for them and so a church with good community really seems to be attractive to them and we've got skeptics hanging out for years they don't really care about our religion but we're the one community they have mm -hmm. kyle remember that softball mm -hmm. story you told me about going to the bar just to hang out with the non-Christians and you thought they were going to crucify us for not hanging out with them? Yeah, well, they, yeah, the non-Christians were kind of jealous of the community that the church had. And they said, well, you churchies get to hang out with each other all the time, but you never come to the bars with us. And we, we just want to hang out. And that was kind of eye-opening to me that, um, you know, it is an alienating city and people play sports. They get in mentor groups. They join sort of affinity groups. It just because they just feel so anonymous in such a huge city. I also think one thing Grace has done super well that is a big difference between Canada and the U.S. is Christianity. We really are a minority if you take the faith seriously. If you're willing to say, you know, if Jesus commands it, I'll do it. You are an extreme minority. 
And what that means, though, is when new people do move to the city, they they try to find a church quickly and they often plug in quickly and they hang in there. So one of the things that's really encouraging about Grace and even my own church plant is that, you know, these people are looking for a church. They as long as you hold to relatively orthodox, you know, theology, they're willing to commit to it. And that creates also a really great culture because they basically dive in head first. So my church is planted because a handful of people really gave their heart and soul to it. And they would not be traditional PCA people. Some of them are egalitarian. Some of them are furious about various beliefs, but it's not that big a deal because we're such a minority. And um, I think Grace has done that. And and one of the things that Grace did that I used to make fun of, but in hindsight, I see it as really important now that my daughters are getting older is, you know, if you're going to marry another Christian in Canada, you have a very, very difficult task ahead of you. And it, we used to make fun of it at Grace, you know, got, there's people here obviously trying to get in the right small group, but in hindsight, <laughs> yeah, I, I had all the power to make the small group. So there'd be guys taking me out for dinner all the time. And I thought it was just because I was a great pastor, but they were, <laughs> they were trying to figure out what small group certain girls were in and how did they angle in there? Uh, you know, and we make fun of that stuff quite a bit, but being part of an extreme minority, I'm now seeing that as part of the pastor's function and part of the church's function, the future of Canada, is we really do have to take those life decisions very seriously for the people who are trying to stay committed to Christ and looking to marry someone else. And I think grace has, you know, it was never the strategy. Let's try to find attractive people and put them in a, a building together so that the tension grows a church. That was never part of the strategy. But I think it's been incredible and non-Christian people see that and they actually say, I wish I had a common uh, core commitment together that would would be the foundation. A community that would birth a marriage is is a beautiful thing as well. And I think it's going to be part of the future apologetic of Canada. Well, that's the last word for now. We'll be back with part two of our talk with these guys next time, eh? As always, you can reach us with comments or questions on Twitter and Facebook at Five Points Planting or our new email address, reformedplanting at gmail.com. See you guys next time. Bye.